Did you all notice Jan was playing the keyboard this morning? Yeah. Yeah, she did a good job. That was her first time doing that. I think she did a fabulous job. And we're so grateful that she's willing to play the keyboard for us. Well, you have heard about the grace and forgiveness in Abigail. And last Sunday, Sonny shared his testimony on a painful time in his life. When, as, when life as he knew it for 25 years was over and how God walked him through grace and forgiveness through it all. And today you get to hear from me how grace and forgiveness operates in a godly wife. First of all, I want to say how in love with Barry I am. I am so thankful. <laughs> I'm so thankful he is my husband and that we choose each other years ago. Despite the disability that he is living with right now, I am so grateful he is mine. And I absolutely still choose him with his disability. I love him way more now than on the day we said I do. Now I won't go through the long and romantic story of how we met, just that we met at Bible school and that he swept me off my feet now, Barry is a strong type A personality. He is called a lion, and that is part of what attracted me to him, his ability to make decisions. The first thing that grabbed my attention was his love and his devotion for, to God. In fact, it was so over the top that I had to ask God if he was for real. Was Barry's love for God genuine, or was he putting on a show? And God, in his grace, answered me with a clear and a definite yes. He is for real. His love for me is real, and that sealed it for me. And it didn't hurt that he was tall, dark, and handsome. But his genuine love for God sealed it for me because that's what I wanted in a husband, a man who loved God like that. Well, the fact that Barry had a very strong personality, not only attracted me, but it also became what I disdained about him. And before I sound all pious about his personality, let me say my personality is a phlegmatic, that of a loyal, easygoing, calm, golden retriever. Yes, our personalities are total opposites. And in our case, opposites attracted. He loves it that I am quiet and easygoing, but it could be easy for him to disdain the fact that I'm very indecisive, and I can struggle with telling him how I think or even feel about something. So it is normal that what we love about each other to also become what we dislike about each other. Have y'all discovered that with your spouses? A great marriage requires much grace and forgiveness in each spouse. But I have no control over the amount of grace that he chooses to give me. I only can control myself. I can't live his life for him. I only have my life to live. I can only do my part. As much as that statement seems unnecessary for me to say, that is still 100% true. 
it can be difficult for opposites to live together in harmony. And now I want to pick apart the word grace. Shen is the Hebrew word for grace. It means favor, graciousness, kindness, beauty, pleasantness, charm, attractiveness, loveliness, affectionate regard. This word grace is used in Zechariah 12.10. It says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Israel. The root word means to act graciously or mercifully towards someone, to be compassionate, to be favorably inclined. See, God's grace poured out upon Jerusalem, and that enabled them to look longingly and beseechingly toward their pierced king. God's grace will result in Israel seeing Jesus as someone of infinite beauty. His goodness enables them to repent. Grace comes from God's fullness. Grace is more than God's disposition or his impersonal favor. It is meeting us at our point of need in the person of Jesus, including his power and his provision. John 1.16 says, For out of his fullness, that's the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. What does God's grace look like for me? His grace enables me to look longingly toward Jesus. His grace enables me to repent. I've known about grace. Grace is God's favor. But by studying it, I realize how much his grace is that invisible force that draws us to him. His grace toward me is more than favor. His grace is compassionate. It's merciful. And yes, it is favorably inclined. But inclined to what? Inclined to draw me to himself. Inclined to seek me out when I'm hiding. Inclined to reveal his love and forgiveness toward me. His grace is attractive. And it causes me to lean toward him. What does my grace look like for others? How should I act graceful toward others? Well, it looks like this. It looks like kindness, pleasantness, charm, loving, which is patient, humble, unselfish, and ears open to understanding. Now, we know it's easy to be graceful to one who is also graceful. Sometimes, though, it's hard to be graceful to one that we take for granted, like our spouse, for example, because, well, we expect them to be graceful to us. And it's especially hard to be graceful to one who has hurt us. And hurt, well, that comes from many situations. It comes from simple misunderstandings, from miscommunicating, from wrong expectations, from undeserved rudeness or spite, and all of the above are inevitable. All will continue to happen in our lives. So how can I practice the attribute of grace 
and forgiveness only through Jesus. None of us are good. None of us have the ability to live godly lives without our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, because without him, we will fail. First, I have to acknowledge that without Jesus, I can have no grace. And second, I have to acknowledge that with Jesus, I can be full of grace. When I try to look within myself for the ability to be graceful and loving and forgiving, I always come up short. And it's no wonder. Without God, I can do nothing of any value. But I have learned, and I am still learning, in all things, I need Jesus' guidance, his strength, and his ability. So when I thought back over my life, searching for examples of times when I was offended and how I overcame the offense, I struggled. First, because I don't get offended easily. And second, well, golden retrievers have short memories. It's a benefit, and then it's also a hindrance. So it has to take a real betrayal for me to remember it years later, and there are a few. But there is one exception, and that is my husband. I seem to remember all of those hurts. But he's the closest to me, and of course, I take it to heart his words and his actions. And so, yes, I do have many memories involving him. And it's not because he's been a bad husband. It's because, well, I've given him access to my guarded heart. And I assume you're not that much different from me. Those closest to us have the greatest ability to hurt us. I want to be a godly wife, a wholehearted wife. I want to support Barry and help him thrive. Well, how can I be the kind of wife that allows Barry to thrive? Do you know we're going to celebrate 35 years of marriage June 20th? And I feel like I spent most of those years clueless on how to be the kind of wife that allowed Barry to thrive. And the reason I say that is because I worked on doing things. And for a couple of weeks, I would succeed at changing. But then my doing always retreated back to who I was. What do I mean by that? I was a busy wife, a busy mother. I was a busy pastor's wife. If you listened just now, you would have detected a word that I just used three times, busy. Busy doing good, busy cooking, cleaning, homeschooling, gardening, doing the work of the ministry, you know, busy. I was a lot like Martha, but just like Martha, being busy doing good still means I struggle to simply sit at Jesus' feet and receive from him. I still loved God, served God, worshiped God, but it was easier for me to be busy than it was to seek him with my whole heart. And I know the difference now. Do you want to know one way I know the difference? Because I usually have to choose between seeking God with my whole heart and being busy doing something. Oh, sure, it's possible to do both at the same time, and it can be profitable also, but not as a lifestyle. Let me give you an example. 
Barry and I enjoy doing things together. We like working outside together. We even like grocery shopping together, running errands, watching the Tigers lose. Oh, no, we don't usually enjoy watching them lose. Sorry, we're not real confident of their winning streak right now. We enjoy being together and doing things together, and our relationship is enhanced because of that, absolutely. But that can't be the only thing we enjoy together. For us to be one, we must be intimate. When we read the Bible together and share our devotions together, and we talk about how it affected us, we share our hearts, our tears, our fears, our challenges, and our relationship grows more intimate. And Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom, and we are his bride. A marriage between a husband and a wife is absolutely comparable to our relationship with Jesus. Being busy with Jesus is possible and profitable, but our lifestyle must include times of refreshing with Jesus. I must take time daily to surrender my will to his, to thank him and worship him for all that he is and for all that he's done. I must allow him to teach me, correct me, and instruct me through reading and studying his word. I must work on having ears to hear that still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit and to also obey his voice when he speaks, even if I'm not 100% sure that it's him speaking to me. Speaking out in faith, or stepping out in faith like that, it still pleases him. So what does my grace look like for others? As corny as it might sound, it looks like me on my face before my father seeking him. I cannot be the wife Barry needs me to be without being on my face before my father seeking Jesus. Because without Jesus, I have no grace. But with him, all the grace I need is at my disposal because the Holy Spirit dwells within me, guiding me, leading me, and enabling me. Without him, I'm like a pinball bouncing off in this direction and that direction, doing whatever I think is right in my own eyes. And wasn't that the downfall of the children of Israel over and over again in the book of Judges? How many of you are glad we're done with the book of Judges? doing what was right in their own eyes. That's what they did. To walk in grace and forgiveness, I have to do what is right in God's eyes. And how do I know what is right in God's eyes unless I am in his presence, seeking him and seeking his eyes? So my first point is how to have grace and forgive when I'm hurt. Well, I gotta tell God I'm hurt. It isn't graceful for me to run to a friend and tell them, or to run to my mom, or to run to my husband, or to go to anybody else. God must be first in my life, and proof of that position is that he's the one I go to when I'm hurt. Come on, how do we act when we're hurt? We're crying. We're angry, we're defending, we're retaliating, 
Well, none of those attributes are graceful. But God is so big, his knowledge is so grand, his faithfulness towards us is so incredible that he can handle it when we run to him ugly like that with our hurts. In 1 Samuel 1, we read the story of Hannah, how she was barren and childless, and how her husband's second wife would taunt her and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. And year after year, she had to endure that same taunting whenever their family would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice at the tabernacle. And when the priests would hand out the portions of meat to her husband, remember, he only gave her one portion because she had no children. And for some reason, this called Penina to tease Hannah until she would be reduced to tears and she couldn't even eat. She lost her appetite. Hannah was deeply hurt. And she didn't do anything to cause it. What did Hannah do next? She got up and she went to pray at the tabernacle. She was in deep anguish and she cried bitterly to the Lord. The amazing thing about God is he knows how we feel and he also knows how to heal us, how to draw us out of self-pity. Going to God when I'm ugly, sorry, going to God when I'm hurt is an ugly thing. I'm usually crying and telling God everything that's wrong and how bad it is. And an amazing thing happens when I run to God when I'm hurting. His grace towards me draws the pain out of me. His grace brings the hurt out. And it's like I'm laying it down on the altar before him and I'm begging him to take it from me because it hurts. And I don't want to feel the hurt anymore. And who else can take our hurts away but God? As Hannah cried out, <clears throat> as Hannah cried out to God, she made a vow to him. She said, If you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And then Eli, the priest, he was watching her pray, and he assumed she was drunk. I think maybe Hannah was crying ugly tears, too. I don't know. He couldn't tell that she was even praying. So when he confronted her about it, she said, Oh, no, sir, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. That's what we need to do when we're in pain. Hannah prayed out of great anguish and sorrow. And Eli said, Well, in that case, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. And now listen to how Hannah's attitude and demeanor changed. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and she began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. That was faith on her part. But she also gave her hurts to God, and God knew how to heal her. Through the process of me laying the pain on the altar, or at the foot of the cross, so to speak, as I'm trying to give it to him, he can then speak to me. I'm raw, I'm desperate, I want help or a solution, and now I have ears to hear. 
my second point is when I have ears to hear, then God can show me the role I played in bringing this hurt about. Now, sometimes I'm an innocent victim like Hannah, and he'll show me how to not receive the offense and how to not coddle it or allow pride and bitterness to take root because it will take root if I allow it to. And sometimes I brought this hurt upon myself because of my behavior. And God can lead me to repentance. And when I repent to God, I am seeking his forgiveness. And how can I seek God's forgiveness but not be willing to forgive the person who did the hurting? God does meet us at our point of need in the person of Jesus. John 1:17, God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. The ESV says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. My third point is now, now that all of that has happened, I can operate in God's grace and forgiveness. I've taken the matter to God in all sincerity, and my ears are tuned toward him, and then he gives me the ability to operate in grace and forgiveness. Do you know this is what it looks like to live the Beatitudes? To have them recirculate within us? Remember what they are? I'm to be bankrupt before Jesus and mourn over my sin. I am to choose meekness. That's controlled strength, humility, and self-discipline. Then I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I choose mercy and a pure heart. I choose to make peace. And oh yeah, there's persecution for righteousness sake. When all of that is working within me, God enables me to treat others, especially the one who delivered the offense, with the kindness, with repentance, with pleasantness, and loveliness towards them. The key phrase is, God enables me. Forgiveness is an act of my will, and I can choose to forgive, or I can choose to not forgive. How can I not forgive when I am so grateful for Jesus forgiving me? Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Grace describes the undeserved kindness by which salvation is given. But it is also the power word describing the Holy Spirit's operational means. Did you know grace is a force as well as a favor? It's a verb as well as a noun. Grace is a force. It's a force because God is grace. That same force or power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within me and dwells within you. Grace dwells within me. Amen. I almost feel like we need to do something here. That was my amen. <laughs>